1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
0: Hello, and welcome to New Books in History, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Ashley Powell Morales, and I am so glad to be here with Dr. Gretchen Soren, author of Driving While Black, African American Travel and the Road to Civil Rights, a 2020 Liver Right Publishing Corporation book. Gretchen Soren is the director and a distinguished professor of the State University of New York, SUNY Oneonta, Cooperstown graduate program in museum studies, one of the oldest museum studies programs in the United States, and still at the forefront of the profession today. She holds a bachelor's degree in American studies from Rutgers University, a master's degree in museum studies from SUNY Oneonta, and a PhD in history from SUNY Albany, and has for over 30 years curated innumerable exhibits for organizations like the Smithsonian, the Jewish Museum, and the New York State Historical Association. Driving while Black African-American travel and the road to civil rights is Gretchen Soren's ode to a part of history that has not been told to its fullest. Its pages include 75 powerful images that together demonstrate that the car, the ultimate symbol of independence and possibility, has always held particular importance for African-Americans, allowing Black families to evade the dangers presented them by an entrenched racist society and to enjoy, in some measure, the freedom of the open road. Melding new archival research with her family's story, Soren recovers a lost history and shows how, when combined with Black travel guides, including the famous Green Book, the automobile encouraged a new way of resisting oppression. One can find Dr. Soren's book, Driving While Black African-American Travel and the Road to Civil Rights, in print, digital, and audio form. Its Steeplechase Films documentary directed by Rick Burns, Driving Wild Black, Race, Space and Mobility in America can be streamed online on PBS for free via a link on its documentary page, dwbfilm.com. Dr. Soren, I want to thoroughly thank you for your time and meeting to answer questions on your book, Driving Wild Black, African-American Travel and the Road to Civil Rights.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: You're very welcome and thank you so very much. For coming. Now, before we delve into questions on driving wild Black African-American travel on the road to civil rights, would you mind introducing yourself and providing the listener a bit of a background on yourself and your research for this book?
1: Um, well, I uh, live in upstate New York, and I teach museum studies. Um, and as I was getting... Um, you know, as, as I was planning this research and planning this book, I guess I, I'm a very visual thinker. So I started out by gathering a lot of photographs um, and, and talking to people. Um, I, am, I consider myself to be a public historian, and I do a lot of oral histories. So um, I really started my research thinking about the Negro Motorist Green Book because I had never heard of it before. Um, And it was something that I was very curious about because I had studied African-American history. And I thought, how is it that I've never heard of this green book? And this was about 20 years ago when a colleague showed it to me. Um, And so that was where I really got the idea to do this research. And um, usually when um, scholars do research, their, their research gets more and more narrow. But the more I did this research, my research got wider and wider and wider. Um, And I started out looking at the Green Book, but then I realized that this was also about uh, travel. So I started looking at travel. And then um, it it really turned into um, a study about the automobile and the importance of the automobile to African Americans. Um, And then it even grew wider as I started to think about mobility and what does mobility mean in a free society. So, you know, from this very narrow start, the Negro Motorist Green Book, it became a study of mobility for African Americans in America.
0: Thank you so very much for this introduction. And now that we have a glimpse into your work on driving wild Black African American travel on the road to civil rights, I'm sure that our audience is eager to hear more. So to start, at the beginning in Chapter 1, The Journey, I found William Lloyd Garrison's 1842 published directory ranking of railroad companies and their level of human dignity toward Black travelers a perfect example of allyship. This directory and his newspaper, The Liberator, reminds me of a 19th century good guide or better world guide. Can you speak on this and other forms of brotherhood or sisterhood described in your book?
1: Um, Well... I think the the book um you know has a has a wide variety of 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 things about it that are very sad and and um very dangerous for African Americans on the road but at the same time there are so many examples of people who have have done things that have supported African Americans and African Americans supporting one another so for example one of my favorite stories um came from actually my hairdresser um, she's, um, actually quite elderly now. And she was telling me the story of, of traveling, uh, in Virginia and going to get something to eat while she was on a, um, uh, I think it was a, a ferry boat, um, and finding that there were two entrances to the dining room. One was a colored entrance and one was the white entrance. And she was a little angry about this, but decided, well, she was so hungry, they would she and her friend would go and sit in the, in the colored dining room. So they did that. And the, um, the waiter came over, um, and she said she'd like ham and eggs and you know, she wanted a big breakfast and toast coffee and juice. And the, the waiter said, um, no, I'm, I'm sorry, but, um, you, you don't want that. I um, mean, she said, well, well why not? And, and he said, because all the food here that's served in the colored dining room is scraped off the plates of the white people. He said, what I'm going to do is, is, bring you some orange juice, and I'm going to put a little vodka in it to make you feel a little better. So there were so many examples of African American people who supported one another and protected one another from the abuses of segregation. I found that to be um, absolutely fascinating. And and a lot of it was done clandestinely, is very, very quietly, um, so that um, the white people who supported segregation would be completely unaware. Um, But there were other examples of, of abolitionists, and, um, and people who were very supportive of um, African American equality, providing those kinds of very quiet um, services to African Americans.
0: And throughout Driving Wild Black, there are painfully distressing and discriminatory illustrations depicting African Americans wrongfully. In Chapter One, The Journey, there is one in particular that poorly portrays African Americans in a children's book. This highly offensive publication is a drastic difference from what is now available to children, such as Calvin Alexander Ramsey and Floyd Cooper's Ruth in the Green book, an absolute favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. Here are words and art bring emotion to the reader and listener and provide a way to convey the truth of the Green Book to children. Through your research for this book, were there any same or similar resources that you found appropriate to available to readers to convey material found in Driving Wild Black to young children?
1: Um, That that conveyed it in a positive way? I I, I didn't find any. That's very sad. I think when we talk about systemic racism, um, we really see that children's books, and this included textbooks, um, were very negative and portrayed African Americans in a really negative light. Um, And that kind of racism over and over and over reinforced the notion that African Americans were inferior, that African Americans were not as good as white people. Um, And I really didn't find um, any positive sources of um, that positive sources in children's books uh, for the 19th century or um, in the early early 20th century. Uh, there was even a, a textbook that went into the 1970s that was, I'm trying to remember the name of it. It was called, Oh, a rich man, poor man, Indian chief. And it had um, the the example of a rich man was a white man wearing um, golfing clothes and and playing golf. And then the Black. The poor man was a black man, and the Indian chief, of course, was in full headdress. Um, and there were constant um, reiteration of stereotypes like that, um, even in even in um, school textbooks.
0: For this third question. I asked still on images as well, researched and available in your book. This next one in which I focus is Tony Perez and Lynchi Khan's Scottsboro, Alabama linoleum print, seen in chapter four through the windshield. The message on this print conveys the same I heard via verbal message and verbal communication with friends, but never in academia. Posted visibly in the state of Georgia, can you explain reasons for the prevalence of these signs in the 20th century South? Stances against such, and perhaps a lack of education to certain primary and secondary United States students on these truths.
1: Um, you know, it, it's kind of ironic that uh, in the in the there was segregation both north and south, but um, in the South you could actually tell um, because there were signs. Um, there were signs that said colored only. There were signs that said um, whites only. Uh, the zoo was only open to whites today. Um, there were there were signs at the entrances of communities that told African-Americans that they were not to enter those communities um, um, and that they were to, or, or that they had to stay out of those communities after 6 p.m. Um, and those were called sundown towns. And sundown towns, um, were all over the United States, not just, um, uh, I, I would say, in, in mostly prevalent in the in the Midwest, but Darien, Connecticut, for example, was a sundown town. Sheboygan, Wisconsin um, was a sundown town. Um, and, and these were places that um, it was very dangerous for African Americans to be in if they got caught in that town, um, in that community after sundown. There was even a community um, in the Midwest that had a that had a um, siren, and the siren uh, went off at six p.m. every day. And the, the meaning of the siren, when when people heard that siren, that was to let black people know that if they happened to be working in that town as a a painter or a um, a cook um, or a maid, that they better get out of town. So um, there were you know, you know the, these these signs, the the Jim Crow signs or all over the United States. There were even some Jim Crow signs in Harlem. Um, You can imagine what this did to African-Americans. African-Americans tried to shield their children from all of this humiliation, this this constant um, feeling of, um, or being told that you're inferior, that you're not good enough, that you're not clean enough to be near um, white people. And that's what these signs uh, these signs did, and they were in every aspect of life. Um, there were segregated uh, toll booths, phone booths, um, uh, libraries, swimming pools, um, even even beaches. Um, everything was segregated. Uh, restaurants, hotels. It was a very sad time in our in our history.
0: In the context of the date of publication of Driving While Black, African-American Travel and the Road to Civil Rights, and the manual that you followed in writing this book, can you explain your reasonings for not capitalizing the B in Black and the difference of this choice as distinct from the usage of the tiny C in reference to colored residents and businesses in Fayetteville as listed in Chapter 5, Driving While Black?
1: Oh, that's an interesting question.
0: Um. You know, some of the
1: decisions that you make as a writer are not yours. <laughs> some of them are the decision of the publisher um, and the editor. And that is something that um, that was not a decision that I made on my own. Um, that was an editorial decision um, based on um, the standard format that uh, the The uh, Norton, Norton um, Live Right is a subsidiary of Norton Books. Um, That was a decision that they made. Uh, There there were multiple decisions like that, um, including something as simple as um, how does one use, how does one create a possessive? So, for example, if we were saying Jane's, um, Dennis's, yes, Dennis starts with, ends with an S, Dennis's book, I would... Ordinarily, my format would be D E N N I S apostrophe Dennis's book. The format that the Norton uses is D E N N I S apostrophe S. Um, I had um, I had used I had done it my way. The editor changed it to the way that they the standardization for the for the publishing house, um, and that's the way it was done.
0: And throughout your book in Chapter 5, Driving While Black Especially, one reads of the horribly painful and often today easily preventable deaths of Black travelers, the story of Juliet Derrickot, for example, and her unfair immediate medical treatment and eventual death is just one. Can you provide our readers a more thorough look into the truth of this and similar treatment of Black travelers and automobile cases found in Driving While Black, African American Travel and the Road to Civil Rights?
1: You know, as I worked on this and I said the story got wider and wider, Um, one of the areas that um, dawned on me as I was working on this was, what what happened to you if you were um, in an automobile accident? Um, What would happen? Um, And what I discovered was that because hospitals were segregated and there were only 200 African American hospitals in the entire United States... Um, it was really dangerous for black people to get in, um, an automobile accident in the days of segregation. Um, and of those 200 hospitals, not many of them were fully accredited. They didn't have uh, the money. They didn't have, um, diagnostic equipment, even things like, um, x-ray machines. Some of them didn't, didn't have, um, and it was very, very difficult for them to get the black doctors and the black nurses. Um, so, um, it was if you got if you got hurt on the road, and there are many, many examples of this, um, if you were in a car accident, you you know about that, that you don't have a, a great deal of time to um, you don't always have a great deal of time to get to a hospital and for them to stop internal bleeding or whatever. And there are many examples of African Americans being taken to a white hospital and the white hospital saying, "Well, I'm sorry, we don't serve um, negroes here or." Um, Our Negro ward, which might only have five beds in it, is full. So the person would be sent off to another hospital and perhaps another hospital and another hospital. There were many colleges that would not send this HBCUs, Historically Black Colleges and Universities, that would not send their sports teams out on the road because they were afraid of what would happen if they were injured um, in car accidents. Because there were there were many examples of African American athletes um, who were traveling with their colleges, um, dying as a result of automobile accident accidents, um, because of the relatively few uh, number of, of black hospitals and the poor treatment that African Americans received. Um, there's there's one story in the book about Walter White's um, father. Walter White was the head of the NAACP very fair-skinned man with blue eyes. And his, his father was, was similarly fair-skinned. His father was was hit by a car, and the man who hit him was a physician. Um, and so the, the man who hit him bundled him up into his car and took him to the white hospital. Um, and they were treating him um, in this very pristine um, place and clean, um, modern place. Um, and then his son-in-law, who was very dark-skinned, showed up. And when they saw that this, was, this man was black, they immediately um, took him across the street to a filthy rat-infested Negro ward um, where he died. Um, so um, in the, the, the um, terror <laughs> of being found to be black um, and being uh, put into one of these filthy Negro wards was, was staggering. It was, it was a very um, awful prospect for many people and many people died. Um, a lot of the people who traveled in this time period, of course, were, were baseball players, sports figures, um, and entertainers, singers, um, musicians. Um, and we know of quite a few of those people who died in automobile accidents Um, including Bessie Smith, who died in um, 1923 as a result of an automobile accident. She bled to death um, because a hospital wouldn't take her.
0: Thank you. It's really sad to hear of this painful truth in our history. In Chapter 5, Where Were You stay Tonight, you write that in the late 1940s, as the first generation of Black corporate executives traveled for their jobs, the demand increased for high-quality hotel rooms for african Americans. But these workers were denied access to the major hotel chains such as Howard Johnson's and Hilton, where their white colleagues were staying and said African American executives, professional athletes and musicians went to black neighborhoods to search, albeit sometimes futilely for a boarding house or black hotel with the amenities they expected. If they failed to find such lodging, they could end up sleeping in their cars or, for musicians and baseball players, their tour bus. As noted in Chapter 9, Vacation Without Aggravation, there was boycotting by the 1960s for hotel chains like Kelton Hotels and Howard Johnson's. While looking at the Howard Johnson Hotels corporate website, and history, page, I see no notice on the history of denial of entrance to black customers or boycott of their hotels. Everything listed displays a good light on this company with no acknowledgement of past wrongs. In your research have you found any information on hotel chains and their corporate reconciliation for past denials of black travelers and tying in both your opinion and research, how might we use the data that you have to hold past black owned and black accepted establishments in high esteem and handle corporate trauma and possible reconciliation?
1: You know, I have not seen a single hotel chain that actually acknowledged um, their role in segregation. Um, to be honest. I, I do think that now they are starting to, um, develop committees among their staffs, um, uh, equity inclusion committees. Um, and the same thing is true with other aspects of the automobile industry, the travel industry. Um, a trip asked me to speak with their employees about um, past wrongs in the travel industry, and um, I'm in the middle of, of a conversation with the American Automobile Association, which discriminated for years. Um, and I, I actually think, although I can't prove it, I think the Green Book—it uh, was certainly named after Victor Green—but I think he he also called it the Green Book because the American Automobile Association had the Blue Book, and the Blue Book did not acknowledge. African-Americans at all. So um, I think that there are companies now that are, that are starting to look internally and say, how do we train our employees? How do we um, make things better? I, I think from a marketing perspective, um, n- none of these companies want to um, talk about the past wrongs <laughs> um, because it, it's bad for business.
0: Thank you for explaining this very difficult topic and mentioning the difference between the blue book and green book. I um, That is something that is, is is very interesting. And to end our interview for this last question, some may say that looking at the past is not important because it prevents one or society from progressing. However, I see the opposite in your argument and that knowing historical truth is vital and the ability to move forward. It is important to not only know about major players in civil rights and forward movement, but also those hidden from the large portion of society who made small ripples that, in truth, brought about little by little big waves. Can you speak on? the less noticed persons of which you highlight in your book and the need to commemorate these seldom recognized participants in United States development and how individuals today can take knowledge, learn from driving while Black African-American travel on the road to civil rights to inform ourselves and others and be as well an equal participant in our collective journey forward?
1: Uh, You know, I think that um, a lot of historians have been very critical of the Black middle class Um, there has been a lot of writing about the black middle class and, and how the black middle class has failed to pull up, um, our little Brown brothers and sisters. Um, and, and, you know, very much a, an attitude of I've gotten mine and I'm not going to help you get yours. Um, and I don't, I don't view it that way at all. What I see in the black middle class, um, I see people who have struggled to become successful, and then in, with every ounce of their being, they are doing things, perhaps small things, perhaps invisible things, um, to, to the white community um, to support the African-American community. Um, those things included, for example, the, um, the business owners, the black business owners, providing food and housing during the civil rights movement, providing bail, for people who were arrested um, for participating in, in boycotts or for participating in, in civil rights marches. It includes every African-American who um, went out on the road with their automobile and defied um, segregation, you know, just by going out on the road and saying, I am going to travel, I am going to see the country, I have a right to mobility. And freedom, I see that as a very proactive move on the part of of ordinary men and women. Um, and it was one of the things that helped to um, drive the Civil Rights Act. Um, as black people traveled, what they did was show America that they had disposable income and they were willing to spend it. And one of the things, if you, if you think about the civil rights legislation, it wasn't passed because it was the right thing to do it was it was passed as part of the commerce clause um it it was impeding you know the lack of civil rights impeded interstate commerce um and so black people with disposable disposable income going out on the road supported the economy um and it supported um, white businesses as well as black businesses so i think that i think it's very important to know that, that we, we can make a difference. You know, um, one of the things I've been telling people is, if you want to buy Driving While Black, please buy it from an independent black bookstore um, or, or an independent your independent bookstore and support um, a business in your local community. That's good for your community. Um, you know, any of those kinds of small acts really um, support our communities.
0: Thank you, and uh, I am very inspired by these stories that are held in your book. And I do encourage listeners to to go out and and to buy your book, especially from black owned independent bookstores. Thank you, and, thank you. And to close, Dr. Soren. Thank you so very much for this in-depth look into driving while Black African-American travel and the road to civil rights. This has been an absolute honor, and I have been so enlightened by our conversation. Though before we end, might you tell our audience and myself great news regarding any possible work or research plans?
1: Um, Well, right now, what we're working on is um, a a national dialogue program. So um, we're working with... we're working with two um, very talented consultants to put together a program of conversations that will be held at museums and other um, public venues around the country that will bring together people in communities all over the United States to talk about these issues, Um, to talk about the issue of policing, um, to talk about the issue of of racism, um, and um, I think it's going to be very productive I hope so. Um, I think it's an interesting way we're going to use clips from the documentary um, as conversation starters and we hope to get um, people with differing points of view talking to one another in civil way in a civil way so that um, we can start to create um, dialogue in this country that is, is not so um, angry and um, kind of bring the temperature down a little bit. So um, that's that's the next thing we're working on.
0: Thank you. I'm very excited for this National Dialogue project and is an excellent move forward. Thank you. You're welcome. And thank you so much, Dr. Soren, for being on New Books in History, a podcast channel on the New Books Network, and for providing a deeper look into driving while Black, African American travel, and the road to civil rights. I have thoroughly enjoyed our time.
1: Thank you so much.